Hello, everyone. Welcome to Genealogy Adventures. I'm Brian Sheffy. And I'm Donya Williams. Hi, everybody. Hi. Hope um, We all hope that you're having a, an amazing Sunday, a great day. It's a little bit chilly here in Maryland. I hope it's a little bit just a tad warmer where you are. Um, but thank you for spending the next hour with us. And really, really pleased to introduce the author and playwright, Calvin Alexander Ramsey, um, who has very graciously stepped in at the last minute because we unfortunately had a um, scheduling snafu with the guest who is originally supposed to be on today. So Calvin, thank you so much for, um, for coming on the show. And again, you know, just really looking forward to talking about the, the Green Book um, with you and specifically about your wonderful children's book called Ruth and the Green Book. Um, okay. So again, thank you and welcome to the show. And well, thank you. My, my first question is, uh, and if you'd like to talk a little bit about your background too, that, that, would, be, that would be awesome. Yeah, uh, I'd love to hear more about that. Let's, let's do that let's, first. Let's, let's do that first, <laughs> true. Because you have you have an incredible background. You've lived in many different parts of the United States. You've worked with really cool some some really cool organizations, um, and I think our, I think our audience would really would really like hearing about that. Okay, well, you know, I, I started off in Baltimore, not too far from where you know you two are located, uh, and uh, my father's uh, union went on strike when I was nine years of age, and he uh, moved the family down to his father's. Uh, home in North Carolina, uh, 30 miles outside of Durham, and I ended up growing up there. And then from there, I uh, came back to uh, Baltimore after high school to further my education. And then from there, I ended up uh, going out west, you know, to California. And from California, I went to uh, the Virgin Islands and uh, St. Croix and St. John, and from there I um, uh, spent a couple of years up on Martha's Vineyard. My mother called these my adventure years, and so then I, uh, I guess I had to grow up, and I went back uh, to North Carolina, got married, and then I moved down to Atlanta. And at this time, I was in the insurance business, you know, for a long time, almost 30 years. And then after 9-11, I, you know, always wanted to write and tried to write earlier in my you know, life and things just were not uh, falling in place. But after 9-11, uh, you know, uh, I was on the board of Emory at Emory University in Atlanta, rare books and manuscripts, and, and all this research material was there. And from there, I was able to start pulling things together and uh, most of my work is based on research and it, it, it kind of sprung from that. Okay. So your Ramses are from just outside of Durham. Did I hear that correct? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. A little small town called Roxborough. And that's where my father's from, his father and his father before that. My mother's people are, are, are from Southern Virginia around Danville, South Boston. Uh, but they met in Baltimore. Okay, well, that's going to be a conversation for another day because I have sure. <laughs> okay in North, in North Carolina. <laughs> so again, another case of it being a very small world. Oh, oh you so, have roots there in North Carolina yourself? Uh, part of my mother's um, my mother's paternal side of the family comes from um, all over North Carolina, principally Northampton County, but Halifax. Oh, sure, all the way, sure. All the way over to to Durham. 
got hold okay, of Okay, all right. Super. <laughs> what what's what's so, their last names? Oh, you've got Williams, um, Jossie, Futrell, uh, Heathcock, Heathcock, Bird. It's it's a it's a long list. What's a line? Okay, fine, fine, fine. Okay. <laughs> so I'm and Papoose, and Papoose, where are you from? Oh, well, okay. So um, Papoose is is from a lot of places. <laughs> <laughs> I was born in North Carolina. I mean, I was born in, in, in Patterson, New Jersey, but um, I only lived there for like five years. And then my mom's family is originally from South Carolina, but my mom is one of 14. So half mm -hmm. of them were born in South Carolina. The other half was born here. Well, one was born in North Carolina and then the other six were born in um, South Carolina, were born here in Washington, D.C., my mom being a part of that other half of the six. And then she moved to, uh, while I was alive, she moved to Virginia Beach and back here. And so, yeah, I went to school in Mississippi, but home is DC for me. So. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. Like all of us have been different parts of the country, different regions and have, you know, picked up different flavors for sure. Yes, for that definitely. But I'm I'm interested in your flavors. What made you move to St. Croix, like of all places? That oh wow, you you know I was uh, out at you know taking courses out at UCLA and went out there to write screenplays and I I uh, uh, you know just learning how to do all that and I had written a story about a young man uh, African American who goes to a black island. And, you know, you, you, although he's black and the people there are black, there's still a cultural divide. And it takes a while before the two cultures, you know, uh, can, you know, w start working together. It's a learning curve on both sides. And so, so I had written a screenplay and everyone said, well, you can't write about something you don't really know. You have to go there. And so, uh, so my intention was, to, my, my, my intentions were to go there. And come right back, you know, after a few, you know, weeks or a couple months. But I ended up going there, and I ended up uh, running a bar, and you know, and, and that was uh, uh, an experience. And uh, but I got to know the culture, and uh, so I had a bar I was running, and I had a horse I was riding, and and I was taking uh, playing tennis almost every other day. So I said, well, this is a pretty good lifestyle here. So I ended up uh, staying a lot longer than I should have. And so, but I went there really to do research and to uh, get back to write this. Uh, but I wanted to go to, I guess, first I was going to a island that was not in the United States. And I went there first, but you could only stay there so long. So I was, uh, I was told I should go to an American island uh, territory. So that's how I ended up in St. Croix. St. Croix was not my first choice. Antigua, uh, you know, they just got independence. So I went there first and, but you could only stay there so long. So uh, the local people there, well, the local authorities told me I should go to American territory. So I ended up going to an American territory and that's how I ended up in St. Croix. You know, it's always those best intentions because I was originally because I lived in England for most of my life. I was only over, I was only meant to be there for six months and then come back to the states and thirty plus years later. Um, so yeah, that that six months kind of got dragged out of it. But much like you, is for the same reason the the kind of quality of life, life experiences, learned how to surf. 
living, you know, living in England. So that, that was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, one, I can imagine. One question that I have for you is, I'm always interested in finding out about how people find their voice, the, the medium that they want to use to express their voice and to tell stories. So for me, it's kind of writing short to moderate length articles, but obviously also doing this broadcast, which is the same for, for Dania. What was it about writing that kind of enabled you to tell the stories that you wanted to tell in the way that you wanted to tell them, as opposed to, say, another medium? Well, you know, when I was out, you know, and I was living in Santa Monica at the time, um, outside of uh, Los Angeles, you know, near the water. And so I, I, I really didn't quite know. And what happened was out there, I was trying to just sell anything I could. So I really didn't have a voice. And uh, I was looking for something uh, easy, I guess, you know, that would be commercial and I could do it quickly. And it just didn't come together. So when, not until I got to Emory, uh, I was I was uh, lucky enough to be put on the advisory board for rare books and manuscripts, and from there it was all this material. You know, it was uh, people left their papers, their books, their manuscripts, and and so I was able to you know sort of be uh, it's always exposed to that, and by reading some of these stories, uh, they were hidden away. I mean, scholars knew about. Uh, uh, these papers and whatnot, but the average person did not. And so I always consider myself the average person, uh, you know, not an archivist or a historian or a scholar. And so, um, so, but being exposed to this material, uh, it pulled me in and, and, and I wasn't sure if people were going to like it or not. And so I started, you know, going through it and I started uh, reading it. And, and, and next thing I know, I was uh, trying my best to write something and I never written a play before and I had no real training in that. And so, but I've been in sales and so I was used to rejection. So somebody telling me they don't like something, it was no big deal or telling me no. I mean, I just kept, you know, I just keep moving. So I started doing that and I had friends who, uh, you know, some friends who were, you know, in theater and actors and, and, and I guess, uh, uh, people in the arts and I would show my work to them, you know, maybe a, a scene or two and, they would give me advice or, you know, do's and don'ts or what they like, what they didn't like. And so it was trial. It was really trial by error. I, I just kept writing it. As you know, writing is rewriting. And, and I kept doing that. It, you know, Ozzie Davis said writing is like working with wood, being a woodworker. You have to just keep working it. And so uh, and so I just, you know, uh, started doing that. And and then I started uh, going to more theater, more plays and seeing what was working, what was not working. And uh, and then, you know, one thing about the theater community, they're very generous. Actors, directors, stage managers, you know, they will share information with you. Uh, and and very giving, very giving, a very giving community. I don't know what the movie industry is like or TV, but theater people are really, you know, really top, tops in my opinion. Wow. Well, that's really good to hear. And I was going to say, if there's two people who can empathize about the writing process, um, you're speaking to them. <laughs> yeah, you really are. Both of us have written books, so. Oh, wow. Okay. And it, yeah. seems, it seems like the easiest task in the world to sit down and just type out words in coherent sentences with good punctuation and either tell, you know, tell a story or a history. Or, you know, 
the kind of writing process and yeah um not as easy as it seems <laughs> no no not at all you know and uh and and first or one of the first excuse me like one of the first things you know you have to sort of uh, you know, like what you're writing yourself. I mean, if you can please yourself, you hope others like it. But to write, but, but to try to have a committee to uh, have friends who write things, they show them to you know everyone, and they get feedback. You know, and, and that just confuses them sometimes because they're, you know, hearing all these different voices. And uh, and and when you finish a project, I think it's good to hear feedback. But I think in the when you're in the middle of it, you you really should go with your gut. And, and what makes you feel good? What challenges you? And 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 because it's so personal. Because just you, and that piece of paper or that laptop, and you know, and uh, it's really I I I really enjoy it. You know, it's 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 a it, it's a labor of love. But you know, I can't think of nothing else I would rather do. And uh, and this pandemic has really allowed me time to you know go look at some uh, projects that I hadn't finished and 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 so it's really been working uh, uh, in my favor in, in some ways in some ways so let's jump into the green book because what made you do a, huh just have one quick question okay go ahead just because I'm, because Calvin you actually write both plays and books and I'm again just curious what What's your how do you decide one the kind of stories that you want to write or the kind of material that you want to write about and two how do you what makes you decide whether it's good for a play or good for a book? Well, you know, uh, I mean, uh, the stories kind of fall on me. You know, when I was at Emory, uh, uh, this researcher, he. He brought in a book, uh, no, he brought in a uh, suitcase that belonged to a lady named Bricktop who was in Paris between World War I and World War II, the same time Josephine Baker was there. And uh, and I said, well, who's Bricktop? He said, well, look in the trunk. And, you know, I looked in there and I saw letters from, you know, uh, Jackie Robinson and, and uh, Ralph Bunch and, and just different personalities of their era. And she was an African-American woman. I said, well, she must have been doing something to be getting letters from people like Jackie Robinson and Ralph Bunch. And so I uh, explored that and, and that kind of pulled me in that particular uh, uh, character. And I ended up writing, and it was a musical, which I, I don't read or write music, but I wrote the, uh, I wrote the book and then I had a choreographer come in and I had a um, musician come in and do the music. But, uh, but, but that kind of pulled me in. Now the green book, uh, I had never heard of the Green Book. You know, I'm old enough to remember the days of Jim Crow travel and things of that nature. But but when I was out in California, uh, I was in Westwood, which is kind of like Joystown downtown compared to the College there. Westwood is a shopping area, you know that you uh, probably know. Uh, and uh, I was down there one day, and I went to this men's store, just browsing, looking, and there was a brother in there. And started talking. He was working there, and so uh, he was from New York, and he had gone to San Diego State. And he was in the th he graduate. Uh, he was a theater major, and so we got to talking, and you know, and I became friends, and I met his girlfriend, and and so uh, they were my first L.A. friends, I would say, and so uh, and so you know, we stayed friends while I was out there, and 
we stayed in contact for a little while. And his name was Jonathan. And so 30 years later, uh, when I was out there, I met Jonathan's sister, Patricia, and her you know, husband, uh, Tony. So 30 years later, you fast forward 30 years later, I'm in Home Depot in Atlanta, outside of Atlanta, buying a lawnmower for my son. And, um, uh, and Tony sees me, and he walks up behind me. And he said, you look like Calvin Ramsey. And I hadn't seen this guy in over 30-some years. And he said, you know, I married Patricia. We have eight children now, and you got to come by the house. And and we were, uh, you know, and I, and I do that. And so I become Uncle Calvin to these eight children. And so the oldest boy, little Tony, a year later gets killed in a car accident. Uh, he's fixing a tire on the side of the road, and two police officers stopped by to help him out so he wouldn't get hurt. And someone come flying in the road, run, and they run over the police officers and little Tony, yeah. killing little Tony and breaking the two police officers' legs. So there's a funeral. Little Tony's grandfather comes down from New York, and we're all in the backyard. And uh, after the service, and the grandfather looks right at me because, you know, the men are in the circle talking, the women in the circle, you know, talking. And so he looks right at me and said, this is my first time in the South, and I was looking for a green book. And I said, uh, what's a green book? And that's how the story came to me. And in the, on, the, you know, on the dedication page of my children's book, Ruth and the Green Book, I dedicated the book to little Tony and his uh, you know, family because that's how I was introduced to the green book. Uh, but if I hadn't gone to California, if I hadn't met Jonathan, uh, uh, and his family and 30 years and, and, and big Tony and 30 years later met, you know, uh, a big Tony again and met Patricia and the kids and little Tony. Uh, I probably would have heard of the green book eventually, but the way I, uh, heard about it was so dramatic. You know, I, I, I just, uh, felt like I had to do something with it. And so I, uh, you know, I wrote the play first and the children book came second. So, so that's how the green book, came into my life wow so is yeah. the um is the place still in is it still being done and if so where is it being done and also is is the book still available and if so where is it available oh yeah oh yeah the book is uh yeah you know and um the book has sold one hundred thirty thousand copies isn't that amazing yes God. <laughs> and so my publisher is you know we're shopping the you know the film rights to make it into an animated film. Um, my publisher is out of Minneapolis, Learner Publishing, and Adam Lerner, uh, the uh, the uh, the son of the uh, uh, the son of the original person that started Learner Publishing, is is, is in charge of the publication now of uh, the company. But before that, he was working for a different company, uh, and they adapted another book, you know Shrek was a children's book and, and Adam worked on that project and they made that into a uh, animated film with uh, Eddie Murphy and uh, Mike Myers Mike, and I think Chris Oh, oh God, Chris that's Farley. my favorite movie. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, and so we're hoping that we can do something with Ruth in the Green Book, but, but, but that was, uh, that was a, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, the play was uh, just finished a run and before the pandemic hit, uh, uh, it had just finished a run at the Ensemble Theater in Houston, Texas. 
before that, it was in Cincinnati. Before that, it was in uh, Chicago. Uh, and before that, it was in Atlanta. Uh, and it's going, where it's going next? I, well, 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 they're doing it here in Sarasota. It, you know, but right now you can't do much. Uh, so we're looking right. to do it here uh, soon as it's safe, you know. So, uh, but, um, yeah, so that's what the, the play been doing. And uh, uh, so I, um, uh, yeah, but I've written other plays too, you know. So I've written, you know, like 12 other plays. And and so, uh, so and I'm, 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 they have a reading of the Green Book play here. Uh, they're doing it in February. I have a play. Uh, that's going to be zoomed in Hilton Head. Uh, it's a musical on Johnny Mercer. He's the guy that wrote Moon River, Days of Wine and Roses, Satin Doll with Duke Ellington. And, and it's really about his friendship with Nat King Cole. He's a white Southerner from Savannah, and he started Capitol Records. And, you know, so really it's just a you know, piano player and a singer, and they singing songs and telling stories in between. And then I have a play I'm doing up at Emory University in Atlanta uh, with the Michael C. Carlos Museum, it's about uh it's called the Odyssey of Virtues and it's about this white doctor that was in Montgomery, Alabama, and he's the father of modern day gynecology and it's about how he practiced this field on enslaved women from various plantations around Savannah. I mean I mean around Montgomery. So it's pretty pretty intense. That's a pretty intense a pretty intense play. I, I did that play in Harlem at the National Black Theater of Harlem uh, about two years ago. And then I got a play up at um, uh, Columbia University in New York uh, called the, uh, it's called Baseball, Apple Pie, and the Klan. And it's about uh, this area outside of Atlanta called Stone Mountain. Uh, Dr. Kings talks about it in his African Dream speech, but, but Stone Mountain was where the Klan would meet once a year and have a rally with 30,000 members. And But right next to the mountain is a black community called Shermantown. So I wrote a play about what it felt, what what it would feel like, you know, living in Shermantown uh, during Labor Day when this rally was going on with speeches and and other things. And so we're doing that up in New York. And, and all this stuff fell on me. I mean, I really didn't know about Shermantown too much, uh, but I was an insurance guy and I was out there prospecting for new business and the people start telling me these stories and the same thing with the play at Emory with the doctor uh, a friend of mine who's a rapper in Atlanta he kept telling me about this guy and you know and and it finally sunk in and and I started researching it and and the thing with Johnny Mercer um, uh, his papers are at the uh, uh, special collections uh, at uh, Georgia State University so when I go to a town first thing I do is if, you know if it's open when I was out in San Francisco, I went to Berkeley, and they got the Mark Twain papers. So I, I go to these special collections and just see what I can find. But I never know what it is or what's going to speak to me because uh, I'm just going there with a blank, just a blank, you know, mind and way uh, of just digging. I'm just digging and looking and, 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 and just I don't know what I'm looking for, but I know it when I see it. And so when I, when I find it, if it grabs me, that's what I write about. See, I've always found the Green Books really fascinating because as a kid, I remember seeing my father's copies. So these were like mm. really old, really dog-eared um, copies. And for the, for, for the audience members who aren't familiar with what these are, the Negro Motorist Green Book was basic, was a book 
that plotted safe passage out of the South into the Northern states and kind of the, the Midwestern states. And I think actually it plotted it all the way to California. And basically- Nationwide, a nationwide. And, yeah. and, and the 1962 Green Book uh, covered the Caribbean. It covered Mexico, Canada, and the Caribbean. Wow. And, and, and our people needed those guides because they had to navigate through host, what I would call hostile territory. They, they had well, to navigate sundown towns. They had to navigate sundown counties, no places, safe places. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, and uh, Victor Green was a mailman. And he was a mailman from 1913 to 1952. And so uh, his name was Victor Hugo Green. He lived in Harlem, Sugar Hill, Harlem, right across from Duke Ellington. And, but his route was over in Hackensack, New Jersey. So he got up every morning, about four or five in the morning, you know, took the, uh, you know, uh, bridge over and uh, went over there and, you know, and, and delivered his mail. And his wife, Alma, who is from Richmond, Virginia, uh, Alma Duke uh, uh, Green, uh, they were married, you know, for almost 50 some years. Uh, they didn't have children. But Alma really was the one that pulled the Green Book together because he was working, you know, full time. And, and she and Alma, along with four women, all female staff, they're the ones that really pulled this together. And what Victor did, uh, Victor, by being a, a letter carrier, he belonged to a union, a black union, the National Association of Postal and Federal Employees. And so they had, you know, Back then, they were all men who were, you know, mailmen. And so uh, these black guys uh, would ask folks on their routes, would they mind being in this book? And that's how he got was able to get these addresses. You know, there were no phone numbers. They were just addresses. And, and they would send them in to Alma. You know, first they were, had the office in their home in Sugar Hill, Harlem, 938 uh, uh, St. Nicholas Avenue. Then they ended up moving uh, getting an office at 135th Street, uh, uh, right up from the Schaumburg in Harlem, and so um, uh, and now it's a uh, Thurgood Marshall Youth Academy. But 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 that's how he was able to get these addresses, these men uh, out there delivering mail. You know, back then, you know, being a, a mailman was one of the top jobs uh, a black person could have in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and even today, it's not bad. And so, uh, but, but they would screen and ask certain people on their routes who they felt like could house strangers traveling and have them put up in a place that was safe. And so there were no phone numbers in the Green Book. So once you listed your home in there as a tourist home, you could have a visitor coming there any time of day. Uh, and so that's how this thing grew to be nationwide, and then Canada and the Caribbean. So, um, uh, so it really, you think about it. It was no internet. It was really just, you know, the trust of, of, of this letter carrier. But really, the backbone of the Green Book was black women, because in the Green Book, you look at these addresses. It's always Mrs. So and So. It's never Mr. Smith address in the book. It's Mrs. Smith, because the black woman was the one who said, put me down, because back then a lot of women worked in the home and the men worked outside the home. Uh, so that really, and I don't think the, the black women, along with Alma, they have gotten enough credit for making this thing run from 1936 to 1967. Wow. That's amazing. So, I mean, 
I've I've always heard of the Green Book. I, I'm but I'm 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 not old enough to know about it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I mean, everything that you're telling me is like is just brand new. It's it's all oh. new to me. Um, and to hear that that black women really fueled the whole thing. Yeah, it's, just, yeah. it's not it's not shocking to me, but it is amazing to to know that and then to hear you give that whole credit to them in the way that you did just now is um it's awesome. And how you know once again they're not giving the yeah. their due you know, as far uh, as I went to a you know every every April the Swan Gallery in New York uh on 20, East 25th Street, they have an African-American uh, memorabilia auction. And the last time I was there, a 1945 Green Book sold for $40,000. Mm. And it was in bad shape. So so the gentleman who I spoke with earlier, sir, if you have a copy of that book around your house or in your attic in your basement, you might want to, uh, you know, dust it off and, and treat it, you know, treat it real well because it could be worth anywhere from forty to fifty grand today. Ooh. Wow! Wow! The rep, the red books, the red books, and uh, you know, Invicted and Invicted Alma, they didn't produce any more than probably twenty thousand books a year, you know. But those books was held forever, you know, and um, uh, it was uh, a treasure and. It was uh, not just the South, but it had addresses in there in San Francisco, Boston, Maine, you know, pretty much everywhere there was a black letter carrier delivering mail uh, and there was black people on his route. Uh, There was activity. There was activity. And now it's a whole, you know, it's a whole cottage industry now. Every time I look around, there's an article here, an article there about the Green Book, and uh, it's just pretty amazing when you think about it because this guy was uh and his wife they were just a team you know and 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 national i mean people helped him out a lot you know uh uh a jewish printer uh printed the green book for the first 20 years uh you know then victim and alma moved their business to another printer because they needed something a little more i guess elaborate a little more detailed and but uh when i did a talk in new york uh the son of the printer uh, came. He was in his nineties, and he remembered the day that Victor Green walked into the office. They had they had no other black customers, and he remembered the day he walked in, tall gentleman with a suit and hat on, and you know, and dressed, and uh, you know, and there was a couple printers on the machines who did not who did not want to do the job because he was black, but the owner said, "You guys work for me, and this is a good order, and we're going to do this job." And so that was. Uh, you know, you know, and this guy remembers that day. He remembers that. You know, so when I give my talks, I bring all that in. I bring all that in, and there's so many stories. You know, uh, the warmth of uh, the warmth of uh, the warmth of the other son, the warmth of other sons. Uh, they mentioned the Green Book in that publication, and I think Toni Morrison has mentioned it in one of her books, and so they it pops up here and there. Warmth of the Other Sons, and 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 I—that's where I've heard this because I've read Warmth of the Other Sons, and that's where I heard. I knew I heard the name of this book before, and yeah, that's yeah. where that's where it is. Mm-hmm, so I, mm-hmm. I just want to make sure I heard something correctly. So, 
the color of their green wasn't good enough for printers because they were black? Well, these printers were, they weren't Jewish printers. They were working for a Jewish man. They were, uh, uh, they could have been new immigrants or they could have been, you know, just regular, you know, white guys who, who were prejudiced. They did not want to do the book because this was a black man. And, but the owner of the shop, because his son was there and the son said he had four or five other brothers who worked there as well. And uh, his father said, we're doing this job. And they did it for over 20 years. And you remember when Victor Green finally moved the business somewhere else? Because it was, it was such a big order, you know, 20,000, 30,000 books is a big order for, and his book, you know, came out annually. It wasn't a, a monthly type situation. It was a, an annual book. And Victor and Alma would collect this material uh, you know, all the time. Now, Went now Wynton Marsalis, Wynton Marsalis, the jazz musician, uh, his grandfather had a SO service station in New Orleans, and the SO service station sold the Green Book. It was one of the places where you could pick up the Green Book, and people say, "Why would SO? Why would SO do this?" You know, and and then I have to go back. Because we all know that John D. Rockefeller Sr. started Standard Oil, and 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 Esso is one of the you know one of the brands with Standard Oil. As a matter of fact, Standard Oil stands for S O, uh, and uh, but the way they spelled it back then on the gas station was E S S O. Today is Exxon Mobil. So so uh, so Rockefeller, uh, the original Rockefeller, John D. Sr. He, he married into a family of abolitionists from Massachusetts who had, you know, moved to Ohio, you know, to the Western Reserve area. And that was considered the West back then, you know, moving to Ohio. Uh, and so he, he married this young lady and, and her family were abolitionists and her father was a, 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 a congregationalist minister. And so, but they were also, when it was in Massachusetts and Ohio, their home was part of the Underground Railroad. And that's the family he moved in, he married into. And so by marrying into that family, uh, I feel as though he was enlightened. Uh, if he wasn't enlightened before that, he was enlightened after he married her. And and their last name is Spellman. So the college in Atlanta yeah. is named after Johnny Rockefeller's wife's family. Well, I, I, I want to interrupt you really quick because you said a surname that's throwing me off right quick. I, I need to make sure <laughs> that that is a surname and not. You said John E. Senior. Is that a is that a surname or is that a just like senior and junior? Uh, that's a, a senior and junior. Uh, I'm saying John oh. D. Rockefeller Senior. Oh, okay. Because I, I was okay. Okay. And so, and so, huh? and so, if you go on Spellman's campus, you would see a portrait of Minister Spellman in the administration building, and then you would see uh, the church there called Sister Chapel. And I always thought it was named after you know the sisters that go to Spellman, but it's after uh, Laura and Lucy Spellman. It's named after them. So, so, so that's and so that's why Esso was selling the Green Book because of that connection. And that's why I went to Marcella's father, grandfather had an SO service station in New Orleans. So, so when blacks were traveling, they saw SO, they knew it was a friendly place to stop. They could get snacks, use the restroom, 
and you know and and uh be treated like human beings and so and and also uh Esso was the first one to train black men to run their own stations uh during this period well one of the things that i actually love about the green book now as an adult and i didn't get that when i was looking at them as a kid was you can <clears throat> almost plot the route that your ancestors took coming out of the south going into wherever they went in the states you could get a sense yeah. that if you had to stop overnight, what, what house they could have stopped at, what B&B or what hotel, what gas station. And what I love about it is you can actually almost walk in the footsteps of your ancestors. But I, I, yeah, I think yeah. the books is invaluable for that reason. Now, uh, now, now, what kind of stuff are you guys writing? Uh, I've written how-to books about how to do genealogy and a little bit about DNA research. Donnie can tell you about her book. My book is on um, researching my family and and just learning about who we are and and uh, what we do and where we come from and that that what threw me off when you said senior. I actually have a surname that is senior. It actually is senior. However. Might not be, <laughs> but that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother issue. So, okay, um, yeah, well, I, we do family history research. That's what my stories are about. Okay, so okay, so so this organization is the daughters of the huh? I mean, your organization is uh, the DAR. Is that is that what this is? No, I work for the DAR um, okay, personally, okay, okay. but Brian and I, we um, are a gr we are a team, and we are okay. the, we work we work together under the Genealogy Adventure Show. Okay, and we okay. Also do genealogical because, research as Genealogy Adventures team. Okay, because I have a friend in, in New York named Ruth Hunt. And somehow or another, she's pulled together some black women who are associated with the daughters of the American Revolution. Yeah, or DAR. yeah there are there are black women who have who have joined the DAR. Yes. Okay. And, fact, and, and they were able to track and they were able to trace their roots back to the uh, the revolution. Or, yes, or, there or, are. Yes, there are. Oh wow, wow. Yeah, There's several. Wow. Matter of fact, there are um, black female patriots. Who, who were actually um, back in that time period? Wow! I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Wow! Yeah. So, 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 are you gonna write about that? I mean, once you finish with your family projects? Only if they're part of my family. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You're sticking with the family, family, right? <laughs> right. All right. Okay. Wow. That, that's good stuff. So, so, how did you two meet? Online, because we're 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 also cousins. Uh, Donnie happened. Oh, to, okay, okay, okay. Donnie That's happened to, to find a, an article that I that I wrote about where we have a lot of our common ancestry, a place called Edgefield in South Carolina, and um, oh. she she reached out to introduce herself and say hello. And I forget how many years down the road it's been. It's been a, it's been a spell, but um, it's been just, a while. We just at least fifteen something like I think. that. And we, yeah, at least fifteen, maybe more, but at least fifteen. Yeah, and we just we just clicked immediately. Yeah, well, that's good. I so, like known and you both in, uh, and you and you both in the D.C. Maryland area, D.C. Yep. Maryland Virginia area. Yeah, that's a good area. That's a very good area. 
uh, for but research and for met, all kinds of things. But when we met, he was still in England. Oh. Yeah. Oh. We met, he, was, he was still in England. I haven't been back in the United States for terribly long. Okay. So how long were you in England? 30 years. How, how many? Three zero. 30 years. Oh, oh 30 years. Wow. That's, 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 wow. Do you miss it? Um, if Brexit hadn't have happened, yes, I would miss it. Oh, okay, okay. Britain's okay. kind of going through its own madness at the moment, so. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a, a slave, uh, there's a slave museum in Liverpool. Yes. Uh, and I don't know if you've been in Liverpool or not, but, uh, but I want to, uh, you know, take a play there once things open back up. Uh, and I would love to take a, a, a play to the West End. Uh, that's what uh, I'm hoping to do. Uh, but, uh, but, but I have to wait till things open up. Your better bet in London isn't necessarily um, the West End. It's more up towards Camden. That oh. would be, any of the playhouses and theaters in Camden, the Camden part of London would be more amenable to kind of putting on the, the plays, the performances that, that you do. West End is basically like Andrew Lloyd Webber, huge multi-million pound productions kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think people, and, people that, uh, really, that your stories would really resonate with very strongly would also, they're the kind of audience that would go to, to the Camden, Camden and like um, Kentish Town Road parts of, parts of London. Okay, well, you're going to have to email me what you're saying uh, so I can have that because if you don't mind, because I... Uh, you know, uh, haven't really reached out there that much, but I would like to, that would be a great a place to start and to make a contact. Um, you know, I've, I had a uh, Ruth in the green book was, was written up in the London supplemental times, uh, Excellent. some years ago, because I think the black history month over there was in October. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I think they're trying to change it into into making it like a multicultural month, make you know, like the the East Indians and everybody be sort of included instead of just Black History. Uh, at least that's the last thing I heard. But uh, yeah, the London Times did a piece on Ruth in the Green Book, and their Sunday educational section or something uh, uh, to that effect. And I was interviewed by the the BBC uh, twice and also by a radio station in Ireland. And, uh, and they were just really shocked that this had gone on. And, and you know, I think in Ireland, it's almost uh, a law that if someone is traveling and they knock on your door, you have to assist them. Mm. It's, good, it's good old Irish hospitality. But I was going to say, if you do go to Liverpool, you're going to see a lot of very old, I mean, they've, They've seen better days, I'm gonna be honest about that, but you'll see these huge 18th century mansions that are now been split up into like houses of multiple occupation. Slavery built all of those houses. That's where slave, that's where the slave ship captains, a lot of them lived and the people who profited off of slavery. And the good thing about mm -hmm. Liverpool, it is coming to terms with, with that past. Yeah, yeah, you know, and uh, they asked Ringo Starr, uh, did he miss anything about Liverpool? And he said, no. 
And so his statue in Liverpool, someone cut his head off, you know. And so, uh, but <laughs> but he took it, but he took it in jest. He t- he made a joke about it. He said, you know, there's nothing he misses about Liverpool. And and so I guess folks there got pretty upset with him saying that, you know. So so his head came his head came off. <laughs> Anyway, so uh, uh, I don't know what else to talk about. I mean, I'm, I'm still writing and researching. I'm down here in Florida now, and there's all kind of stuff down here with the uh, the Black Seminoles, and I'm looking at that. And uh, there's uh, uh, there's Black uh, people that you know Sarasota is where the Ringling Circus would take the winter off, and this is where they would stay. Uh, the men, the women, the animals and the Ringling Brothers, which I think it was seven of them, and they, you know, purchased a lot of property here and and all of that. And so but the circus people traveled, and I uh, was told that they used the Green Book going to some of these towns because they could not stay with the, you know, the white circus performers and employees. And so, and so there's all kind of off stories uh, to this, and... And, and since all three of us are children of the great migration in a way, uh, you know, our parents, uh, traveled and, uh, and I know my people, uh, and, you know, traveled and, uh, packed their own food. Wait, wait, wait. one quick and, question. Hold up. The Ringling brothers were black. No, huh? No, 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 <laughs> no, no. I mean, but they had black workers, crazy. you know, from here that went with the circus to do, I guess, kind of work like put the tents up and take care of the animals and things of that nature. No, the Ringling Brothers oh. were out of Iowa. They were out of Iowa. You oh, know, but okay. They, uh, well, yeah, that would, right. a, that, that would be a scoop, wouldn't it, if the Ringling Brothers were black? <laughs> oh, I was getting ready to say, wait a minute, you confused me. <laughs> But you know, I think the last uh, few years, I think the last few years they were in business, they had a black ringmaster. Uh, You know, I think that was true. And I think what happened was, you know, the animal rights people felt like the elephants, the elephants, especially were being mistreated. And, and once the elephants had to be taken out of the circus, they said, without the elephants, there is no circus. So they just you know, I think all the circuses are gone now, uh, uh, for the most Pretty part. Much. I think for the most part, yeah. But yeah, I, I did yeah. want to, um, I, I do want to ask you a question. But Brian wants to ask one first, and then I do have one question that I want to ask you because God, this is, show is almost over. <laughs> so going back to the, the the Green Book book, the children's book. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. If you could just talk a little bit about what the what are the challenges in writing about something that is one either entirely unknown or two very complicated, but writing it for a very young readership. Yeah, you know, I really didn't know a lot about children books. I have three kids, but um, but they you know they've grown. But uh, and and growing up myself, I didn't read children books. I have five sisters and two brothers. But I, you know, I read comic books and you know Zorro and things of that nature. But uh, but I wasn't really into children books because uh, uh, I guess you know there were no children books of color uh, when I was around. Uh, but um, but I just didn't do that. So so what happened was I was watching this lady on television, this black woman, 
and uh, Betty Stroud, and she's written, you know, numerous children's books. And she was on PBS talking about, you know, the world of children's books and, and for young readers, you know, because there's some children's books that are chapter books for older readers. And so, and she was talking about, you know, how children really need to get information uh, at an early age. And, and it just, and there's, we're not enough like authors and uh, illustrators doing children's books. Because, uh, you know, of all the book sales, that's the only book sales that never went down because of, uh, you know, the Internet and e-books and things of that nature. Because children want to hold the book. And so uh, that those sales have been consistent. But I wasn't thinking so much of sales. I was really just watching this woman on television talking about the World of Children Books. And this was on PBS on a Friday. So that that Monday... I called down to where, you know, uh, to Savannah, Georgia, and to uh, the place where she was working, and uh, and uh, she was a librarian. And then I called uh, where uh, her book was, uh, where her agent was, and to speak to her agent. And the agent, uh, when I called there, she just really just... She pretty much, I won't say she cussed me out, but she was really, really angry because, you know, she, most people don't take unsolicited phone calls or material from people they don't know. And so she just went off, you know, and said, how dare you call me? And, you know, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so I just sat there and just, you know, just let her finish. And so when she got through, she said, you know, I'm leaving here in about four weeks to start my own company. Call me back. And so I called her back in four or five weeks, you know, and she said, you know, first of all, you don't have a book. You just have an idea. Brandy? And, uh, hello? Go ahead. You're fine. Oh, yeah. And, and, and she said, you know, I really didn't have a book. I just had an idea and it doesn't work like that and blah, blah, blah. Next thing I know, she said, at first she didn't believe the Green Book even existed because none of her friends uh, ever heard of it. And so I had to do some due diligence and send her information that it did exist. And I didn't know how to do a children's book. And so, uh, so I reached out to, uh, well, she, you know, uh, gave me some people that I should might, that I should talk with. And, uh, and one was this woman named Gwen Stroud who had written many, many, many children's books. And so we kind of collaborated together, but then I had to come up with an illustrator and, and I didn't know any illustrators, but I had gone to the library and just looked at different books and I found this one guy I liked a lot, Floyd Cooper. He's a black guy out of uh, Oklahoma, but he lives in Pennsylvania. And he has won a Coretta Scott King Award five times. He, I mean, he's a legend in the world of children's books. And I said, I like to work with Floyd Cooper. And they said, you'll never get him. No way. It's impossible. He's too busy. He's too big. He's too everything. And so sure enough, you know, uh, word got to him that I was looking for him, and he did it. You know, he did the book. Uh, I, I never spoke with him. I never heard from him. When he, he just did it and finished it, and I had no input in the drawing at all, the drawings at all. And so that was that, you know, and that's how that whole thing unfolded. And I have friends who have been trying to get children books published for years. I mean, they really want a book done. They feel like they got a great idea, and, and they tried a 100 different ways of doing it, getting an agent, uh, 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 not having an agent. Uh, just self-publishing, just whatever they could do. They really want to do a children's book. And that really wasn't a burning desire of mine to do that. And so uh, maybe that's why it happened the way it did. 
And so Floyd and I are working on a new book for next year, and it's really praising black librarians who never got their due. When you think about the civil rights movement, people uh, aren't aware that, you know, not only were the restaurants and, and the restrooms uh, off limits to blacks, but also libraries that weren't in black neighborhoods. And, and the librarians were essential workers, you know, for for us, you know, and, and they just never got in their due. So my new book, children book, is about, you know, uh, my personal experience uh, discovering a, a black library in North Carolina that was basically a log cabin. And, and, and that's where I got the bug for, for uh, you know, reading and going to the library because of these librarians that were in this little rural town in North Carolina. So, 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 so that's how I got uh, into the children book uh, feel and, and it's still wide open. I think if, if, and we all got, you know, uh, 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 we work on different things, but, but, you know, you got to get to the kids early. You got to give them material early. And I do a lot yeah. of school visits, uh, second grade to fifth grade. I do a lot of those and, and I'm still doing some of those with zoom visits. And so, um, you know, because they ask questions and, and, and a lot of times these kids have never met a black author before, uh, you know, it, you know, you know, even in major cities. And so you imagine small towns and, and it's really a, a market that's really is underserved. And, uh, and I encourage anyone, uh, everyone, if, if, they, if they have a desire and we all got a, a book in us, we all got a children book in us as well. Uh, of an experience that we've experienced, uh, something to share. And so, uh, you know, it's only 2,000 words. That's all it is. That's all it is, 2,000 words, and uh, the rest are, you know, drawings. So uh, uh, it's not it's, it's not impossible to do, but, you know, it's, it's something that can be done. And, and, and your publisher will work with you. They have editors at, the, uh, at these houses that will, uh, you know, work with you to make sure that you're telling a story in a way that, can move children and also can move the drawings in the book because uh, people can paint well or draw well is one thing, but the, the images really have to help the story along and, and, uh, and we need more minority illustrators and more minority uh, writers. Absolutely. And Donnie, that sounds like a topic for another show. And it does. Uh, you can close out the show with your question. Well, my question is quick. Um, uh, and we need you to answer it quickly because we're at the end. Uh, I just okay. want to know: Do you like accept? Do you because because it looks like all of your plays and your books and things of that nature are definitely based on civil rights. Uh, you know, and you know just what African Americans have gone through throughout the years, and so on and so forth. Do you tend to to do that based on like researching? what what you've researched family history or what others have researched or or things of that nature yeah and things i've experienced personally myself you know uh uh and, and i guess it what speaks to me i mean some folks do comedy some folks do uh romance you know we all got something that you know we think we can do in an adequate fashion and so I think I tell these stories. Uh, I mean, if I could do comedy, maybe I would do a little comedy. I mean, I might write a couple of lines in a play that might uh, generate some laughter from an audience. But basically, uh, I I try to share information, historical information, in a 
in a in in a way that uh, people can uh, take it and, uh, and and go out and do their own research. Or, or I'm just saying what I've stumbled across for the most part. But uh, yeah, and I'm old enough to to have lived through the civil rights movement, at least this portion of the movement. I remember when Dr. King was alive and 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 things of that nature when he died and. And so, uh, you know, those things leave an impact. And I remember Malcolm X died and, and when Jackie Robinson died and, you know, and, uh, Fannie Lou, Lou Hamer. So, 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 so all that stuff is living history to me. Those are the things that I experienced while watching television. And so, uh, and back then you just take this stuff in and you don't really do much with it because you just, you know, it's like your vessel. And so, uh, yeah. So, so that's what, uh, everyone got their own their own little niche and, and mine seems to be this. And so I, I, I didn't, it chose me. I didn't, I really didn't choose it. That's exactly it, it chose it. Me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to thank you so much. Um, Brian, go ahead. I was going to say thank you, Calvin, for spending this hour with us. Um, well, thank you. Audience at home, thank you for spending the hour with us as well. There's a link and we'll repost it again that goes to Calvin's website that talks about his background, his plays, but and also the books that are available for sale. Yes, okay, and Calvin, um, please bring your plays to this area because I so want to go see them. You know, I did a play at Metro Stage a few years ago outside of DC well, in Alexandria. Bring it back. Uh, <laughs> bring I it will. Back. I'll bring it back. I'll bring it back. Bring it back. And um, we're going to talk again because I, I have you now on Facebook. You can't get rid of me. So, all right, um, all right. Okay, good enough. Good thank enough. Thank you again, though. Thank you so much. And, and, guys, and, and, okay, and so thank you both. Week. And gentlemen, please uh, uh, send me that information about you know uh, the locations in London where I could possibly uh, reach out yeah. to them about my you know about my work. You know, going most definitely. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. All right. Thanks. Happy Thanksgiving and stay safe. Happy Thanks. You too. You too. Okay. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye bye. So next week, um, guys, next week is going to be another episode on our Joined by Slave Free series that we've been working on. And this is going to be with our own personal family. And we're going to be talking to the Settles line with Hamad Settles and Gina and um, Dana and, oh, I can't think of one of our cousins' names. But it'll be posted. But it'll be posted. And it's already posted. And it's already a really uh, very wanted to watch show. So I really, I can't wait because this is going to be the first time that I've asked that me personally, for me personally, Brian has already, you know, really kind of met some of his white family members. This is going to be the first time that I've. We did. Yeah. Oh, no, it should be fine. Go ahead. Oh, um, this is the first time that I've spoken with my white family members. So next week, joined by slavery, meeting the Settles family. And we're going to talk with them and we're going to learn from them and they're going to learn from us. And it's going to be an exciting show. So guys, thank you um, for joining us this week. And we look forward to talking with you again next week. I'm Donya. I'm Brian. Happy Thanksgiving and stay safe. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Where the fuck is whistle at? Holy shit. Don't tell me we're slipping already. That's right, everybody. Slab hour. Episode.